We used to believe that neurogenesis only occurred in the developing nervous system. Recent research strongly disputes this idea. How might this new knowledge change how we treat brain disease? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt from Foothills Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho. And with me today is Dr. Veronica Galvin. Dr. Galvin is staff scientist at the Buck Institute for Age Research in Novato, California. She is also a two-time recipient of the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation Award and is widely published in the neurosciences. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Galvin. Hi, Leslie. I'm glad to be here, and thank you very much for inviting me. Can you please review neurogenesis for us? Actually, it's adult neurogenesis. Neurogenesis, of course, is the birth of new neurons, but it has become more widely used because of the discovery of the birth of new neurons in the adult brain. So what happens is what is that the discovery was made after many years of a profound belief in the neurological community, let's say, or the people who work on neurobiology, that new neurons would not arise in the adult brain after completion of development. So this paradigm that had been, you know, an undiscussable truth for almost a century was completely shaken up and changed in the last decade. I think maybe in the last 10 years about by now. And it has changed the way that we think about the brain. It's a really, really important discovery. Hasn't it been kind of slow to catch on, certainly in the popular press, but even among physicians, that this notion that, oh, once you're born, you have all the brain cells you'll ever have and you'll never get any more. We've been kind of stuck on that idea. Yeah, it takes a while, you know, until what's discovered in the research field trickles down to the clinical world. And that is mostly because when the discoveries are made, you know, you just discover this phenomenon and there's still a lag in time until the phenomenon is widely accepted, very well proven, you know, reproducibly mm-hmm. proven by different groups. And then again, it remains just a phenomenon unless we learn ways to intervene and have the power to control this phenomenon. So I think that that's why it has become so far, it's just a curiosity that many, you know, in the clinical world doesn't have much relevance. But it, this may change pretty soon, although there's certain difficulties, but it could be that we can start to manipulate neurogenesis, so the birth of new neurons, and that would give us an incredible tool for the treatment of any neurodegenerative or condition or even, you know, acute brain injuries. What happens to neurogenesis as we age? So the birth of this of new neurons in the adult brain actually goes down, so the rate of birth of neuronal progenitors decreases. However, they remain as responsive to injury as they were during youth. So something that I didn't mention is that it seems that neurogenesis may have a role both in the uninjured condition as well as a response that might be a repair response when the brain has suffered an acute injury. So this is very well demonstrated for acute injury like stroke, but it's still not completely clear for more slow degenerative conditions like Alzheimer's disease, although we have provided very strong evidence that this is the case for NAD. So we see an increase in neurogenesis both in human AD and in mouse models of the disease. It's conceivable that this is a repair response that is activated in the face of injury. Is neurogenesis required for memory? 
That's one of the most interesting parts of the research on neurogenesis. So in rodents, neurogenesis is active both in the uh, pathway that provides new neurons to the olfactory bulb, and that's in the subventricular zone, and also in the region of the hippocampus that is called the dentate gyrus. And in primates, in, like in humans, the only region that remains spontaneously neurogenic is the dentate gyrus of the hippocampus. And this is a crucial area for the formation of new memories. So it was reasonable to propose that neurogenesis may have a role. And there are a number of studies that have been done which point out to a role, not in hippocampal mediated, that's a matter of contention yet, but there's many different systems that have been used and we are actually currently testing this hypothesis. We're looking at the role of neurogenesis in hippocampal encoded memory in rodents right now. And so that question is still unanswered. But in other, you know, non-cortical forms of memory, are the role of neurogenesis is pretty solidly established. So there could be something there, although we still need to do a lot more experiments to figure it out. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Veronica Galvin, We are discussing neurogenesis in the aging brain. Dr. Galvin, what happens with traumatic brain injury? Does that stimulate neurogenesis? Yeah. As a matter of fact, most of the research that I'm aware of has been done in acute injury of of a certain type, which is in stroke models. Mm. And in stroke models, using middle cerebral artery occlusion, it's very well and firmly established that you get a tremendous increase in neurogenesis and this is likely working as a repair function. We have a very nice study where we used a neurogenic factor that further improved outcome after experimental stroke, suggesting that an increase in neurogenesis is a good thing. Basically, the response of the brain with this. Of course, what happens, the degree or this activation of neurogenesis is obviously not sufficient to restore function or to, you know, completely heal an acute injury. But the fact that the response is there and that the brain is poised to provide this repair response is very encouraging if we think about, you know, possible treatments in the future. We might be able to promote the repair response and get something that will, you know, reflect in improved outcomes. Now, those of us in psychiatry, we like to think now that maybe antidepressant effect is really due to neurogenesis. What do you think about that? Well, that's a very, very interesting observation, and it's really remarkable because by now there's so many studies, independent studies, that show an increase in neurogenesis both in humans and in in mouse models with the administration of antidepressants. And this is working at the level of the hippocampus, at the level of the, the subgranular zone of the dentate gyrus that we were talking about earlier, that is such an important area for affected in Alzheimer's disease, you know, in which a, a very strong component is, in many cases, depression. The observation that antidepressants increase neurogenesis is like, you know, it's very tempting to think, and I think that it may turn out to be accurate both ways, that the antidepressant effect is actually mediated by the increase in neuronal precursor proliferation in the dentate and then vice versa, that you can get Maybe one of the causative or one of the processes that lies at the heart of depression and dysfunction in Alzheimer's disease is a defect or insufficient neurogenesis. Mm. So those are questions that we're trying to address in mouse models currently. 
Do lifestyle changes have any effect on neurogenesis? Yeah, there's been really a number of extremely elegant and solid publications, you know, with very robust data coming from the laboratory of Dr. Fred Gage in San Diego. It's very clear that voluntary exercise and environmental enrichment in rodents have a tremendous effect on the rate of production of new neurons. Then you have, you know, together with that, you know, if you think that there's this concept of cognitive reserve, which has been well documented in the human population for years, this association between, you know, level of education or level of intellectual activity, physical activity, and the risk for AD in humans, when you put all of that together, it really, like, strongly suggests that neurogenesis may be mediating in rodents, this is for sure, this is well proven, but that the same is the case in humans, that these lifestyle changes towards higher activity, higher education, more cognitive stimulation may be beneficial and protect you from AD, at least from Alzheimer's, that's clear, through a pathway that involves the neurogenesis at the hippocampus. Let me ask you to look in your crystal ball for a minute. How do you see your work in the lab translating into our clinical practices in the years to come? We're not too far away, although there's a number of non-trivial hurdles that should be overcome. So, for instance, there's an immediate thing, something that can be done today, which is to we have plenty of data to go ahead, and I'm not a clinician, but clinicians can go ahead and, re- and they do recommend lifestyle changes that will protect people from dementia and uh, neurodegenerative disorders. And most likely this is due to an effect in neurogenesis, although it's, of course, not the only thing. But we think that there's a number of growth factors and neurogenic factors that are associated with exercise and with enriched environment that might become therapeutic interventions, and that will require... So when in those cases when damage, you know, cannot really... It's not really preventable by behavioral interventions in humans we might be able to intervene with putting a little bit more of that which induces neurogenesis, the generation of these new neurons. And and that is not so far away. So that's not so hypothetical at this time. But there's a lot of work to be done, first in rodents and then, you know, at the clinical level. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm very glad, and it was my pleasure, Leslie. We've been discussing Dr. Veronica Galvin's research into neurogenesis of the aging brain. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. You can now download our podcasts and have access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 